Mask Radio Influence, podcasting redefined. Welcome back to the Lawfather Podcast. As always, I ask that you rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. Phone number 855 Lawfather. You can reach me anytime, lawfather at tampalawfather.com. And remember, that email address is dedicated specifically to this show. So if you have a show question or just want to ask me something, go ahead and use that email address. You can reach us on social media, Facebook and TikTok. It's at The Lawfather. Instagram is at The Lawfather Tampa. Twitter is at The Lawfather TPA. As I mentioned previously, uh, any of the personal injury attorneys out there that need their medical records retrieved for them, Bravo Delta Legal Services does that for us, and they do a great job. BravoDeltaLegal.com. Their phone number is 813-591-4259. And once again here, we are at Lawfather Headquarters. Should be getting out of Lawfather Headquarters here here pretty soon. Uh, I know my office is opening back up in terms of the physical office itself. On May 18th, we as a law firm have not closed at all during this time and have been able to service our clients throughout this uh, entire time. So uh, big things moving along here in terms of uh, states opening up, law firms opening up, businesses opening up, definitely a very good thing. As we get into some of the current events and current topics, there's one big topic that really is overarching over all of the things that I like to talk about on this show which is legal aspects and sports. Top two things. Well, we have something here in the news lately that bridges the gap between both of these things. Uh, There's actually been two things uh, in really recent time here. We have the Kobe Bryant helicopter crash and the ensuing litigation with that. And then we have the Zion Williamson lawsuit that is going on with a, a former representative of his. And we're going to talk about both of those. But think of this podcast today as a two-part podcast, today being part one, the next one being part two. And it's going to be on the Kobe Bryant helicopter crash lawsuit. All right. This is a big, big lawsuit, not just in terms of from a financial standpoint, which from a financial standpoint, this is going to be an absolute monsterly massive lawsuit. Uh, It's a wrongful death action. And when you're talking about a wrongful death action, you're talking about what that person who died could have provided for essentially the remainder of their life to their their family that has been left behind, primarily the children, okay, the spouse as well, but primarily the children. And you're talking about an individual who is an extremely high net worth individual in Kobe Bryant. So this is going to be huge. And uh, it's made some news recently. And, you know, it, when you look at it from a lay perspective, you look at it and scratch your head and you go, wow, okay, how could that be? So we're going to talk a little bit about that. Uh, and, and, you know, the other reason why it's huge is that his daughter was there and she still had the rest of her life to live. And, and there's going to be a big financial impact uh, as far as that goes. So, Uh, I would imagine as a helicopter company, the helicopter company has massive insurance policies, but probably not going to be sufficient in terms of what the damages would be in a case like this 
typically we see and we deal with a lot of trucking cases and commercial carrier type cases, which a helicopter is really a commercial carrier, just it flies around. All right. So there's going to be little nuanced differences, but, you know, we typically see $1 million in coverage, uh, $5 million in coverage. Sometimes there's what's called excess coverage, meaning that you have a regular policy of a million dollars, for example, and then there's another policy on top of that that may cover several different things, uh, maybe all the vehicles that the business owns, liability for uh, any offices that the business has, basically everything that the business has in general. Uh, this other excess coverage sits on top of it. It can be anywhere from a few hundred thousand into the millions. So I would expect that a helicopter company would have millions of dollars of coverage. But when you're talking about somebody who was probably making more than that in endorsement deals uh, and just using his name and likeness over time, probably not going to be sufficient uh, in that realm. So uh, I know it's it's kind of uh, a bleak topic as we talk about it. I know it was uh, something that was very emotional for uh, a lot of people. Uh, I would say uh, I found it to be a little bit emotional hearing the news. Uh, never never met Kobe Bryant. However, Kobe Bryant is just a few years older than I am, and he went to high school. I think it was Lower Marion. Uh, I know he's from the Philadelphia area. I went to high school in Pensacola, New Jersey, which is stone's throw from Philadelphia, five, ten minutes. You go Pensacola, drive through Camden, and you're on the bridge over to South Philly. So, you know, kind of had, I don't want to say a connection, but I always secretly followed Kobe Bryant and secretly was cheering for Kobe Bryant uh, throughout his career as a, a Philadelphia kid. And, you know, Philadelphia and South Jersey kind of uh, one and the same in that sense. So diehard Sixers fan when I lived there and, you know, Kobe played for the Lakers his entire career and, you know, Tough being a Kobe Bryant fan and a Sixers fan and, you know, kind of diehard Allen Iverson fan at the time. So, you know, but deep down, uh, I always did kind of secretly cheer for Kobe Bryant and followed his career. And, you know, having young kids, I know it was it was an emotional time uh, for pretty much everybody. Everybody, it seemed like as you watch the news, everybody kind of connected with him, which is which is pretty cool in a sense. So, um uh, don't mean to take away from any of that, but we are a legal show. Uh, I am an attorney, and there are some differences when you talk about real life and the law. And it's one thing that I talk to my clients about a lot is that we have real life, and you know that's that's what we all know about. That's what we talk about in normal life has a certain meaning, and then we have the legal field which I call it a fantasy land of you know, things don't always mean the same. Uh, to use a real simple example that I use all the time in talking to clients is, you know, you get in a car crash or a helicopter crash or any kind of crash, okay, and, and there's injuries, and your buddy comes up to you and he goes, hey, man, are you okay? And you kind of, you know, kind of gather yourself and go, yeah, yeah, I'm okay, right? And, and you may be hurting, right? You may have, you may be hurt really bad, right? But that okay is more of a, hey, I'm okay, I'm here, 
I'm good. I'm I'm not dead. I'm not in need of, you know, resuscitation, CPR. I'm okay. And what happens is when you get into the legal side of it and someone takes that statement, well, we heard the plaintiff, the plaintiff being our client, the person who was injured, we heard the plaintiff say he was okay. So clearly he could not have been injured. Well, that's not really true, right? Uh, you know, this could be ignoring the major laceration or cut on his arm that needed 10 stitches. Yeah, I'm okay. Okay. But you know, I, I do have this, this little massive cut here, uh, but I'm okay. And, and that's where we really draw the line between real world and fantasy world. And, and that's where some of the news that has come up about the Kobe Bryant uh, helicopter crash has really kind of split the difference between the two. And what really turned me on to this, and I believe it was TMZ who had reported that the helicopter pilot, who is a defendant in this lawsuit, is blaming Kobe Bryant and the passengers for their own injuries. Okay, well, you take it at face value and you move that into the real world and you go, wow, how could that be? How could this person or how could this attorney representing this defendant possibly blame Kobe Bryant? How can you possibly blame anybody who is a passenger in a helicopter? Well, uh, if you had heard the heard the Ron and Ian show uh, recently, and I, I know we had it on the podcast, we talked a little bit about this as we were discussing the women's national soccer team and uh, the U.S. Soccer Federation. And what it comes down to is, hey, you're the defendant. Okay, you're the defendant's attorney. And the plaintiff has made some allegations. And as the defense attorney, you have to come up with some way to defend your client. Otherwise, you might as well tell your client to open up your checkbook, start writing zeros until the other side tells you to stop. That's the reality. So you have to do something. And, and in the legal world, we call it mitigating the damages. OK, uh, you have to do something to mitigate your exposure, to lessen your exposure if you're the defendant. So um, what I'd like to do over the next two podcasts, because this thing is really massive. We're talking about a 77 page complaint filed by Vanessa Bryant's attorneys on behalf of uh, on behalf of her uh, in a wrongful death action. And it has 20 plus counts. Um, to put this in a little bit of perspective, in a regular garden variety motor vehicle crash, our complaints are generally three to four pages at the most, and it's one single complaint, or excuse me, one single count, rather, so three to four pages with one single count. Now, the more plaintiffs you add into it, the more defendants you add into it, it gets longer. So if we take the analogy of the helicopter where you have a business and a driver. In the helicopter case, it'd be a pilot, but business pilot slash driver, and then the hurt person who was driving their car or a passenger in a helicopter, for example. So when you have that employee-employer relationship, you're going to have more than one count. And generally speaking, we have on those three to four counts and five to six pages. So to put it in a little perspective, 20 plus counts, 77 page complaint. We're just going to look at the complaint today in this podcast and then uh, we'll tackle some of 
the issues that that TMZ brought up and that the answer has and, and how what in the real world we might call victim blaming. Um, but in the legal world, it's providing a defense. So let's look at this uh, and some of the, the key facts that I pulled from it. So I, I pulled the whole complaint, read through the complaint. And uh, for the next one, I'll go through the full answer and break down the legalese and turn it into uh, lay speak, if you will. So there was radio traffic between the pilot and air traffic control all leading up to the crash. Uh, I think it was uh, eight to 10 seconds uh, prior to the crash was when uh, the last air traffic control uh, conversations were had. The helicopter was traveling at a ground speed of 180 miles per hour. The helicopter, now here's an important thing, and I want you to try to remember this as we move through this, because it's going, these next two points are going to come up, okay? They're kind of, they're they're not vital to this whole thing, but they play a very important role from the plaintiff's side of bringing this lawsuit. The helicopter company was only licensed to fly visually, not via instruments. And if you remember correctly, and I'm, I'm going to kind of rehash here how the crash happened because it's important to know uh, this is a a very hilly and mountainous area of California, Van Nuys, California. Uh, Never been there, but it it looks like it's quite nice. Um, And I would imagine if Kobe Bryant lives out there, it probably really is uh, quite nice. But it was a foggy day. Uh, Law enforcement had grounded their helicopters that day. And uh, when we're talking about flying visually versus flying via instruments. We literally mean that when you fly visually, you can see what's going on around you. You can see the terrain, you can see the hills, you can see the mountains, uh, you have visibility. Uh, Whereas the visibility at this time during this crash was very, very limited. Okay, apparently with helicopters, and I'm not a helicopter pilot, but apparently I'm not a pilot at all, to be honest with you. Apparently, uh, you can fly these helicopters via instruments, meaning that you can essentially fly it blind and follow the instruments that are provided to you on the helicopter. This episode of the Law Father podcast is brought to you by Golden Pair Funding. My attorney friends, if your clients are looking for pre-settlement or surgical funding, give Golden Pair Funding a call today. They will provide easy underwriting, speedy approvals, electronic signing, competitive rates, and flexibility at settlement when necessary. See, their focus is to make the funding process pain-free and expedient for you and your clients, reducing your administrative burden while providing ample time for you to fight the insurance companies and receive top dollar for your clients. If you are looking to work with the industry leader in pre-settlement funding, call Golden Pair Funding today at 813-856-2099. Once again, attorneys, Golden Pair Funding, 813-856-2099. And once again, this week's episode of the Law Father Podcast is brought to you by Golden Pair Funding. Give them a call today at 813-856-2099. Second, the pilot was previously cited for violating visual flight rules, and he was cited by the FAA. So that is... Another important piece that we're going to have to keep in mind as we move through this complaint. All right. First off, we're going to be talking about vicarious liability. Big, fancy word. 
All it really means is that a company is responsible for the actions of its employees when those actions are taken in the furtherance of the company. Okay. Still kind of a fancy explanation, right? What does it really mean? The pilot is an employee of the helicopter company. The helicopter company asks the pilot to fly the plane. The helicopter company makes money from the plane or the helicopter being flown. And the pilot makes money from it as well. That's what that really means. Okay. So vicarious liability, that's what that is really saying. Um, So anything that the pilot did that was negligent, it all transfers over to the company as well. All right. And so what we're going to be looking at is how was the pilot negligent? Now, there are several things that are outlined that the company becomes responsible for uh, the actions of the pilot. And you would see multiple complaint or multiple counts here in the complaint. And you would have these spelled out for the pilot himself. And you would also have these spelled out for the company. So here they are. The pilot failed to maintain, uh, failed to properly monitor and assess the weather prior to takeoff. That the pilot failed to obtain proper weather data prior to the subject flight. That the pilot failed to abort the flight when he knew of the cloudy conditions. That the pilot improperly flew the helicopter into instrument flight rules conditions. That's what we talked about a little bit ago that the pilot failed to maintain proper control of the helicopter in flight, that the pilot failed to properly avoid natural obstacles in the flight path. Eh, Well, for example, I would assume they mean a mountain there. Uh, The pilot failed to keep a safe distance between the helicopter and natural obstacles. And the defendant pilot failed to properly and safely operate the helicopter resulting in a crash. Now, When we're talking about a negligence case, we're talking about that you have to show that there was a duty, a breach of that duty, and causation, okay? So this last piece here that he failed to properly uh, operate the helicopter, he has a duty to keep the passenger safe and to not crash the helicopter. Just like when you're driving a car, you have a duty to not hit other cars on the road. You breach that duty by hitting something. So the pilot breached his duty by hitting the mountain. A car breaches that duty by hitting another car. Causation. Did that breach of that duty, did crashing into a mountain or crashing into the car cause the injuries to the person? Okay, that's what a negligence case is made up of. So that's why you're seeing those pieces in there. Uh, Some of it is kind of common sense as you read it. Some of it will require expert testimony and experts aren't cheap. So uh, this is going to be kind of a big thing moving through. Now, how is the company negligent? And we talked a little bit about the company that the, that the company carries all the negligent actions of the employee, but there are other pieces that come into the company's negligence. Now there are, there's a lot less, but we're adding these, don't forget, into those previous ones. Number one, the company knew or should have known that they were prohibited from operating the subject helicopter under instrument flight rules. Going back to the flying visually versus flying blindly and just using instruments. Number two, that the helicopter company failed to have in place an adequate safety policy for cancellation of flights into unknown safe weather conditions. Now, 
what happens is when we initiate a lawsuit, we don't always know what the rules and regulations a company has. We can make some assumptions and say that, hey, yeah, they must not have had these things in place because this happened. Now, one of the next steps would be is we would do on the plaintiff side what's called a request to produce. And we would say, hey, helicopter company, produce to us the safety policy. And then we would go through it and see where that particular point falls in line. Number three, that the helicopter company promoted and engaged in unnecessarily unnecessary and needlessly risky means of transport under the circumstances then and there presenting. Hey, they flew a helicopter when law enforcement helicopters had been grounded. And from my understanding, most other helicopters, if not all helicopters at the time had been grounded. And I think the visibility issue is something that is one of those things that's readily apparent. I mean, you can look out and you can see it. You can either see or you can't see. I don't think there's a whole lot of middle ground there. So uh, let's let's jump down to one of the next counts in this, which is negligent training and supervision. And what is that? That is a count against the company saying, company, you have a duty and an obligation to provide training to your employees and you have a duty to supervise these employees. And what has happened in this one is it's come out that the pilot had previously been cited by the FAA for violating these flight rules. And you as a company have a duty and obligation to take remedial action. And this is saying they didn't. And it's evidenced by the fact that he did it a second time. And hey, you got away with it the first time. You got away easy the first time, right? You got a fine. Um, Now, granted, I'm by no means saying that the pilot deserved to die because of this error. So please don't don't think that that's where I'm heading with this. Okay, but it impacted and severely hurt somebody else. Okay, and and when you think of it more of in a car crash case where you may have somebody who's very severely hurt by your actions, by the negligent actions of, say, a truck driver who has been. Uh, cited several times before and the truck driver is perfectly fine, but the individual is very hurt. Um, that's where that comes up. I've actually worked a, a major, major trucking case, uh, over a million dollar trucking case in which uh, we were able to secure punitive damages for the client. Punitive is uh, Punitive damages are damages that are meant to punish. And generally though, what we're talking about is compensatory damage, which means uh, money that's meant to compensate the individual for their injuries or for their loss, uh, as in this case. But uh, it came down to that individual had several violations. Uh, there were several things going on in that one. Uh, it was a really good end result. But that's what negligent training and supervision is. It really turns up the heat on the company. And another count against the company, and we're just hitting the high points because, like I said, there's 20 plus, and I could bore you with the details. Um, I'm not sure that even at me as an attorney, I want to read a 77-page complaint and find all 77 pages of it and all 20 plus counts interesting. So we're really hitting the interesting ones here. But this one I think is important: failure to equip helicopter with safety equipment. The helicopter company failed to purchase and equip the helicopter with terrain avoidance and warning systems. And these systems create a detailed image of the terrain and has auditory and visual warnings. Now, if I'm running a helicopter company 
and I'm flying out of Van Nuys Airport, and it's a really hilly area, mountainous even, and from what I understand, it's kind of prone to fog. I would want that on my helicopter. If I'm their attorney, I'm recommending that they install those systems on their helicopter. Now, at least in Florida, now this case is in California, okay, but in Florida, let's just say this. Let's say this happened in Florida, and after this crash, the helicopter company goes out and they retrofit every helicopter with this train avoidance system. You can't use that to prove that that company was negligent in this prior case. All right. It's a very important thing. It's a public policy issue, they say, in terms of that you don't want to discourage a company from doing the right thing and making something safer by using it to punish them later on. Uh, We see this more in slip and fall cases where there's a dangerous condition. Someone falls and gets hurt and the company sees and goes, okay, maybe we need to make a change. So they make a change. We can't use that against them to show that they were negligent in that. Now, there are times that we can use that information if it's an area where there's a dispute over who owns that area, who what we call care, custody, and control of the area, so who owns and maintains it, and somebody comes in and fixes it, but they're saying, no, it's not ours, it's not our responsibility, we can actually use that repair to show, yes, it's theirs, they maintain it, and they control it. Okay, so that is the Kobe Bryant start of the lawsuit. Okay, this is the what we call a lawsuit initiation. So the complaint has been filed. These are some of the the counts in the complaint. This is part one of that. So you're going to need to make sure that you catch part two, which will be the next podcast that we do, where we get into the responses. And this uh, this may be a three part piece or it may be a two-part piece because we're going to break down the responses from both defendants. Okay, so stay tuned for that. Part two, next podcast will be answers, the, the defendant's answer to this complaint. So that is our law and sports for the day. Uh, I think we've made it thus far in this podcast without discussing the coronavirus, which is great because I, for one, feel like we have been inundated with it and this is a good break from it. So we're going to avoid that topic and we are going to get into listener questions. And I grabbed a couple of listener questions and as I always do with these listener questions, I copy paste, drop them in my notes and go from there. So these answers are live with the podcast and here we go. Number one, my wife asked me for a divorce after cheating on me. What happens to our stuff? So there may be some states where there's what's called an at-fault divorce, and I I believe there can be uh, a different parent parsing of the assets or the stuff, if you will. Uh, But in Florida, Florida is a no-fault divorce state, so it doesn't matter who did what to cause the divorce. All Florida really cares about is are you getting divorced? If yes, you are essentially splitting up your property. Now, there's non-marital property and there's marital property and you're splitting the marital property 50-50, all right? Uh, probably a little bit more of a, a detailed response in terms of what non-marital property really is and means. Uh, and that would be something that you'd want to discuss with an attorney about that. We actually have an attorney in our office 
who handles these family law issues like that, uh, Monique Scott, who's also running for judge here in Hillsborough County. So keep that in mind as we get closer to voting season. But if uh, this was your question or you have a question like this, feel free to call my office, 855-LAW-FATHER, and ask for Monique Scott. Uh, she is the pro at this. I know very surface level stuff about family law. Um, I've represented deputies in family law cases in the past, but for the most part, I personally try to steer clear of them, especially because uh, we have Monique in our office who can handle that. Number two, I went to the doctor about a month after my accident. Is that bad? It's kind of a, a general question and um, could be good. I, I shouldn't say could be good, but might be bad or it might mean nothing. Um, so it's going to be really fact specific and dependent. Now I can tell you if you haven't been to any doctors in a month time after your accident, and I'm assuming they mean a car accident, then you most likely won't have your PIP coverage or personal injury protection coverage, which is the first $10,000 of coverage that covers you. That's our quote unquote, no fault in Florida. So we have no fault divorce and we have no fault car crashes. Uh, apparently, Florida doesn't really like assigning fault to people. But uh, be that as it may, uh, you are likely to forego that $10,000 of, of PIP coverage. I mean, it happens all the time. And really, what in the appellate district that we are in here in Tampa is uh, called the second DCA. And they've said if PIP isn't payable, meaning uh, it's there's no way that they can pay it, then you get to go and take all of those medical bills and put them on the defendant and the defendant is responsible for those medical bills. But highlights the need for an attorney in cases like this. Uh, it gets really complicated and there's a lot of moving parts. So, you know, call my office. We can discuss that and get into some more detail. Uh, one of the things that we're doing as we're talking about car crashes and uh Coming up is uh, we've been doing free advice Friday. So keep a lookout for that on our social media. We have the last installment of the car crashes uh, up for that. I think we did six or seven installments just on how to handle your own car crash case. Uh, but if you have a case and you want some help, some input, you just have some general questions or you just want to talk to me, call me 855-LAWFATHER. As always, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. Lawfather at tampalawfather.com. That's how these questions come in. So please reach out to me there. Social media, Facebook and TikTok. Yes, we are on TikTok. It's a very weird place to be, um, but we are there uh, at the Lawfather. Instagram at the Lawfather Tampa. Twitter at the Lawfather TTA. That is the show for today. Catch us for part two of the Kobe Bryant case. Lawfather, out. This is an MJ Morning Show podcast quick fix on Radio Influence. Guys, you know what really affected me this week? Did you hear that Sweet Tomatoes on Dale Mabry's closing? You were the first person I thought of when I saw that. Oh, my. Every one of them closing. Every one, right? Coronavirus thing must have really did them in. And you know what's a huge concern? After this is over, how long is it going to take for, like, buffets or restaurants that have buffets or big salad bars? How long is it going to take for them to get back in business? You know, I could see where you can survive because you have the sneeze guards and maybe you'd have to give everybody their own tongue and their own big spoon 
to use. That's worse. Why is that's that even worse? Why is that worse? What if you lick the spoon? I mean, that's even, no, that's you, even know, you, don't, you don't lick the spoon. So when you get your tray and your plate, you also have to get your own tongs and your own big spoon, and then you turn it in. Let's say at the cashier, okay. and then All if right, you then sense. if you go back, you got to get a brand new one. So I could see a way to survive, but man, this is so awful. We went to Sweet Tomatoes all the time on Dale. Maybe I don't know what my buddy Jeffrey's going to do. Jeffrey's been working at Sweet Tomatoes for like thirty years. What about Ruby Tuesday? Is her salad bar going to go? Like, or is this the end of Chinese buffets and salad bars? I don't know. Fester's about to break down and cry. Look at <laughs> Fester, you okay? <laughs> I really never thought of it like this. My wife and I were talking about, hey, this would be a really great time to book a trip to Vegas. And I was like, yeah, it would be because everything's like dirt cheap right now. And then I'm like, wait, all the buffets are closed. And she's like, so? And I'm like, what the F do you mean? So it's the best reason to go to Vegas is the buffets. Well, what about the Golden Corral? It's one of my favorite places. Oh. The chocolate fountain, the, the fried shrimp. Forget it. That's now the Corona fountain. <laughs> no, no. Froggy. It's not limited to fruit. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm, I'm sure there's some penis joke coming here. No, no, I was thinking fried shrimp, you perv. Oh, okay. (laughs) The MJ Morning Show podcast can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, the iHeartRadio app, MJMorningShow.com, and RadioInfluence.com. 